Let's take a moment and we'll pray. And actually, I want to, I want to read through our text because it's just so cool. And there's so much to learn. That's part of why I'm... And I'm just pulling it up myself here, so... Mark chapter 1. Okay, here we go. Our text starts today in verse 40. And it says this. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to him. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. You pray with me, please. God, I just pray your word would burst open and come alive, that we would have so much fun in it tonight, that you would minister, that you would ignite our hearts, captivate us, draw us in. And if this is new to us, Lord, I pray that we would be shocked how much fun we have, shocked at how personal and meaningful and pertinent and real it is to us. And, we'd, and Lord, that we'd, let you, that we'd let you get into our hearts today and get into our heads and that we would just let the penny drop tonight. Let it just be that we're like, oh, wait a minute, I get it. So, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would do that with each of us that you would take this time and redeem every second. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be the ones right in your heart and let they be out in the right right order. So, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to hear you tonight. Help us to get it. And, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your word and trusting, Lord, that it's you here who's put this down on paper so that we can read it. So, Lord, anoint me, immerse me in your Holy Spirit, come upon me and do through me what I can't humanly do. And may we all walk out of here going, man, am I glad I went to that. So, Lord, may we be permanently changed as a result of tonight. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I would say tonight is any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Some of you have heard this for years, you know. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have a final say. Now, I'm going to ask some really simple questions. These are not difficult questions. And what I'm asking of you is to give me an answer. Are you ready for this? You're not ready. You all look at me like you're scared to death. What do you think I'm going to ask you? What's your deepest, darkest secret? All right. Here's the first question. How many senses does a human being possess? Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, we're removing the concepts of Hollywood. Just real answer here. How many? Five. Okay. Of those five, <clears throat> let's go through those. There's hearing. What else is there? Seeing. Smelling, feeling, and taste. That's the five. You ready? Okay. Just go with me on this for a second. So, God gave you the ability to see. I think everyone in this room actually has that capacity to whatever a degree We might argue over who has the worst eyesight. I'm a candidate. How many eyeballs do you have? Two. Two. Okay. Now, see, these are simple questions. This really shouldn't be hard. How many eyeballs? Two. Okay. 
Do you see with any other part of your body? No, nah, not really. How many ears do you have? Two. Okay. So fairly even. Two eyes, two ears. How many noses do you have? One. We can argue over nostrils because there's two of those, but just the same. How many mouths do you have? One. Can you taste from anything else? You can argue over the nose thing and the taste buds, but let's just go with that you have one mouth. Okay. So we've got one mouth, one nose. That's two senses. Two eyes. That's three senses. Two ears. That's four senses. What's the other sense we have? Sense of feeling or sense of touch. Okay. Well, how many touch receptors do you have? Well, we really don't know, do we? Well, that kind of makes us. So let me. So. Bruno, you're kind of our resident, brilliant man on this, but you might want to take out your calculator just the same. So let's just kind of do it this way. Can you go like this? Try it. Just try it. It's not real difficult. Try that. So you make a little square. Would you say that's roughly a square centimeter? Okay, try to, try to pull out a centimeter out of that. It's a itsy bitsy little thing that I can fit all of Hugo in if I look like that. <laughs> now, let me just say, for every square centimeter, to give you an idea, you have roughly 200 pain receptors that also, of course, in, enjoy pleasure, 15 receptors for pressure alone, 6 receptors for cold, and 1 receptor for warmth. So, that's 200, 215, that's 221, 222, 222 different kinds of senses for touch within a square centimeter. Now, Bruno, you, again, you might want to have your calculator for that. So now the only issue is how many square centimeters do we have basically in our body? Well, let's just say it this way. Like roughly the average person, and I'm going to remove Hugo from this, is going to be roughly about two meters, two to five meters of, of skin surface. So let's just go with the low end, two meters. So two meters, two square meters is how many square centimeters? Okay, how many centimeters are in a meter? Centa means 100. It's 100. Two meters means there's 200 of them. So this is simple. 200, working on that, but we're talking square, but we're talking 200 of them times 222. What does that give us? Thank you, 44,400. And that's just if it was a centimeter. We're not even talking about doing the fun things with squaring it. Follow me on this. Let's just go with that number. You have how many mouths? One. How many noses? One, how many eyes? Two, how many ears? Two, how many, skin, how many touch receptors roughly? 44,000. Which one of those do you think God has actually given us the most ability to experience? You can close your eyes. You can stop trying to smell anything. Oh, and let's face it, you really can't do much about that. Some of you don't smell anything, and some of you, you're married to someone. That, that's probably a gift. You can't smell everything. Um, and the reason I say that is, but when it comes to your sense of touch, you just get it. And we have this situation in Scripture here where Jesus, in the, in the middle of this chapter, has started recruiting the school of Jesus, the school of servanthood. Mark focuses on Jesus being the ultimate and greatest servant of all mankind. And Jesus is pulling in guys. The first four guys we see are, are fishermen. That's all we read. They know how to cast nets. The first two were casting their nets. The second two were mending their nets. And he says, drop those nets, leave your boats. I've got a whole new set of fish. I've got a whole new pond for you to fish in. And you're going to catch men now. And it'll let you become, to become fishers of men. So that's what they know, and that's what they do. 
And they start to school, and don't miss this. There's three basic places that they go in chapter one since then. The first place they go is to church. Second place they go was home. So they took Jesus to church, and what does he find there? Two things, and don't miss this. Now, think about what it would be like. We're kind of following this guy and go, wouldn't it be cool to be like him? That guy's cool. That, I mean, this is not like the religion I'm familiar with. First of all, he's, well, he's wearing a robe because he's Jewish, and it's 200 years ago, or 2,000 years ago, but he's not wearing like the silky super expensive gold bling bling and he's like he just looks like everybody else and there he is and he stands up and he speaks and as he speaks everyone is it doesn't just say that they were like well that's pretty cool it says that they were blown away they were shocked they were marveled by the fact that jesus spoke with authority now the difference was huge now remember we're trying to learn from this guy and what we learn is is that whatever Jesus is doing even with the Bible is way different from everything else we saw with religion. His prayers were not you know written down and he's like no let us locate and what well, on am I on he like it was from his heart but so was scripture. Everybody else, the scribes that they compared him to, they quoted everybody else. So it was like, well, we got our degrees, and so we just want, you know, this guy says this about it. But Jesus is like, let me just tell you, this is what it says. And there's an authority in that. And we're learning. So like the first, and I understand, we're like, I, you know, whatever the Lord's called you to, whether he's called you to pastor or church plant or be a missionary or an evangelist or just somebody that bakes pies for people in the name of Jesus, this is still going to work. And you realize the first part is, I need this scripture to mean something to me. It has to go through me. And that's what Jesus was doing. It's not just like, well, let me just kind of get a verse and then let a bunch of other people tell me what it means. I was like, man, I want, and not, not like it's private interpretation, but you're like, God, speak to me in this. Because there's something about it when you say, well, I was reading him. Boom, there it is. But then this guy freaks out because he's possessed, and Jesus casts that guy out, and we're watching this. Imagine, we're like, this is the weirdest church service ever. Granted, synagogue of the day, but we get the idea. And, and as we watch him cast out, the people, are, they don't just say, who in the world is this? They say, what doctrine is this? In other words, what kind of teaching is this that he even casts out? And then he goes, whatever this guy's saying is backed up by what he's saying that I mean, hell has no say in it. And that's our first lesson we go, okay, so this is what it looks like when you take Jesus to church, is that hell is kicked out and the word comes alive. I like that. That's a good place to start. Let's face it. We can go to all kinds of places and get the world. We can go to all kinds of places and get wasted. Church shouldn't be the place for that. So then we go to the second place. Second place is we go home. Peter and Andrew take them home. Mom-in-law is ill. She's in death grips with a fever. And all they do is tell them. And what we learn is all you have to do is tell them. But the first thing I learned back at church was nobody is too far gone. I mean, you'd think a possessed guy would be about as bad as it gets. Now imagine what that would be like if that was the first lesson you learned. And then you walk down the street. And dare I say, we saw one of you just a while ago. Or we saw some of the guys that are out there that are before that. And we look and go, man, that guy is not too far gone. That gal is not that too far gone because nobody is. That's a great place to start, isn't it? So we take him home, and he goes, and they, and they just go, hey, and imagine Peter going, it's my mother-in-law. No, anyways, he, I'm, I have a feeling he actually cared. And he's like, hey, my, my mom-in-law's sick with a fever. And Jesus goes, cool. Now, loose paraphrase. And he just goes in there. He goes to her. He takes her by the hand. He lifts her up, and she's made well. And I love the fact that it's like, this is our first lesson. No, no, up to this point, we've, had no, we've done nothing. We've watched, right? 
I mean, what did we do in the synagogue? We watched Jesus teach, and we went, awesome. And then we watched him cast out this demon, and we're like, okay. But that was all we did. We just kind of sat there as the audience. Hear me, there was a season for that, but it's not a long one. Because if you get there long enough, what happens is the only part that actually experiences Christianity is your butt. Do you really want that? It's like, it's not even a Christian walk. It's like a Christian sit. You know what I mean? It's like, I've been sitting here ever since I became Christian, and I sit here and do nothing, but I'm a Christian. And it's like, she's like, no, we need to go. And, I'm gonna, and I'm, for that to happen, we need to go home. And once Jesus comes home with you, you realize things change. And I realize, if I could just tell Jesus about this, and that's what we learn is how to pray. Jesus, this person's messed up. Jesus, this person is so, so sick. And 2,000 years ago, a high fever is basically the threshold of death. Because a high fever is your body's way of fighting a disease by trying to burn it out. If I, I mean, it's a loose way of saying it, but it's kind of the idea. And understand, 2,000 years ago, it's like, what do you do for a person that's that hot? What you do is you start figuring out where you're going to bury them. And the reason I say that is, is that they, we, we go with, in church we go, no one's too far gone, which is a cool thing to think for a church. And then at home we think, no one's too bad off as far as sick. No one's too ill for Jesus not to change. And then we get to that and we start going, wow, this is really awesome. So what happens next? We kind of look and we realize, if I'm willing to take them to Jesus, well, if, if Jesus just knew about them, he could take care of them. That's, that's what ministry was. And so what did we do? We ran out into Capernaum. And we just started going, hey, you're sick. Hey, you're mental. Hey, you're kind of a basket case. Come with me. Jesus can fix you. You're like, well, you don't know my problem. You're like, you're right. I don't know your problem, but I don't have to know your problem. I just know who is the ultimate problem fixer, and no one's too far gone. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how dirty and nasty and stained and messed up you've been. I know the person who can fix you, and he's not intimidated by it. And they brought everyone. And the whole town shows up. And as the whole town shows up, guess what happens? He heals them all. But he tells us in Luke that he heals them all with a touch. It wasn't like, I mean, face it, Jesus could have just, and don't miss this, Jesus could have just went, gather them all in one place, and already, oh, voila! And then they're all, like, better. But Jesus isn't into that. Understand, Jesus never took the crowd as success. We do, but he didn't. Jesus' success was always on the one-on-one. And we'll find that at the end of the chapter, why he tells the guy, now don't go running around telling everyone. I mean, okay, you were dying of leprosy and now you're not. People might ask, but don't run around telling everyone. We realize why, because then Jesus couldn't have the one-on-ones anymore. So that's our second lesson we learn. We learn, wow, way into the night, if I could just get him to Jesus, he could fix him. This is why we do nothing fancy. So if we did anything fancy, You'd think it was in the method. But if I can get you to Jesus, he can fix you. And then we wake up after that long night, and Jesus is gone, and we freak out. We realize Jesus had to get alone to pray to get his orders for the day. We realize, wow, well, if that's good enough for Jesus, I think I should do that too. But then we get to this story. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too ill. And then I get this guy. Now, let me start to explain a couple of things, and I'll start to play it out. And just for the fun of it, I think I'll use Mikey. Be aware of the fact. The gun's pointed at you, but it's all good. Well, you can decide that on your own. Hear me on this. It's a rod-shaped, acid-fast bacteria. 
botulus mycobacterium leprae. It's actually a cousin of tuberculosis, for what's worth, TB. And it makes its way into your mucous membranes. You know, that's the wet parts inside your face. And it starts to gestate, starts to manifest. But it doesn't manifest right away. It can survive as long as 11 days in a tropical environment like Israel, which can be. In other words, let's say that there's an underground, though there isn't in Israel. And the guy goes, oh, you know, all those guys that sneeze and all they really want to do is just spray everyone with their blessing. And it's on you and it's on the railing and so forth. And, and so Mikey, you know, he's on, the, he's on the underground and he's kind of holding it. And then he gets that night and he goes to take out his contact and he puts it in his eye. And now all of a sudden it starts to germinate there. It's most common in people 20 to 30. For what it's worth, just a few years ago in 2014, 213, 899 new cases were actually prescribed of leprosy to this day just to give you an idea. That was one every two minutes. You might be, might not surprise you, most of them are in India. The germination and incubation period for it's like five years. So in other words, five years ago, Mikey was in some place where, like Mikey was in India five years ago. And as he was in India, he was just in one of those places, he took a tuk-tuk or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, somewhere in all of it, doesn't even know what's inside him. And it's sitting in his face, and it's starting to grow, and it incubates in the mucous membranes, and it starts to damage your nerve system. That's the problem. The synapses, you know those little gaps where your nerves talk to each other? It interferes in those areas. Now, what that means is your nerves no longer start to communicate with each other. That's kind of the idea. Now, as that happens, that means the things that your nerves do that are, just, that are just not just pain, but your nerves do a lot of things, like they help you blink. They regenerate your skin. Those are really huge things. Well, all of a sudden, it starts to shut those things down because somewhere your skin can no longer call your brain to say, we need new skin here, or your eyes can't actually call your brain anymore because those, those lines have been cut by this bacteria. Are you with me so far? So follow me on this for a second. Five years ago, Mikey was in, in India. Uncompletely unaware for the last five years he's been affected. The problem is over the last five years, Mikey may have had a few sneezes himself. He may have actually spread it himself, and he is completely unaware of the fact he's the smoking gun for, the, for those five years. Y'all with me so far? No. It starts to incubate in the face. Often what we find is that it starts to happen where you're like having a difficulty. Now, I don't want to, if you're like hypochondriac, this isn't going to be good for you. But just, but it's like you start going, man, it's, it's harder to blink than normal. Like I have, almost feel like I have to consciously tell myself to blink. And that starts to surface on your face. It looks like a zit. But the problem is the zit turns copper. Well, for most of us here, for Mikey, it might actually will turn black because... He's got a lot more pigment in his skin. But for someone like Bruno, for instance, or Agnes, or, or you know, Stacey, it would be something would look copper. We kind of look at that and go, that's a kind of a weird color for a bump. But it gets worse. Because see, what happens is, is that, you know, it goes under observation, and they kind of usually kind of scrape off a bunch of the skin cells, and they start to, you know, analyze them. But... As they do, what happens is it's, it's spreading. And this is all just manifesting. What that tells you is there's a whole lot more going underneath the skin, and it's just making its way to surface. You all following me? Because it interferes with the nerves, here's where it gets awful. Well, and just hear me. 2,000 years ago, 
If somewhere that starts to happen, it starts to turn white. You know why it turns white? Your skin turns white because your skin will turn white unless it's skin, your skin can regenerate. Because actually what happens is your, your body's constantly making skin because each layer is seven, eight layers. And what happens is it starts to fall off. Well, a new layer is being built on the bottom of it. That's why we talk about first, second, and third degree skins or burns because how deep in those layers does it go? So what happens is your nerves are no longer regenerating skin. So Mike starts with this little bump now. That's the first thing he's noticed. So for five years he's been affected. But now he doesn't know anything. And so all of a sudden he sees this bump and then it starts to turn white right in that area. Because what's happening is his body's not producing skin anymore there. So all he's got is the skin that's there. And at that point, Mikey starts to know, uh-oh, 2,000 years ago, you actually don't go to the doctor. You go to the priest first. The priest is supposed to be the one who knows this better than anyone because you're not actually called sick. You're called unclean. Now, what that means is you're contagious. So they look at him, and what Mike doesn't want to hear is what any of you would want to hear when you go to the GP and when you're afraid they're going to say, I'm sorry, but that's cancer, and it's in stage four in your terminal. Who wants to hear that? I'm sorry, you have AIDS. Who wants to hear that? Because you kind of know where that goes. Well, 2,000 years ago, that's the same. So Mikey goes to the priest. They take, a, they take a sample. Leviticus tells us the whole way that it's supposed to go, and they wait, and they wait, and Mike waits, and he prays. Now, don't miss this. So somewhere in all of it, it doesn't go away, and it starts to spread, and it starts to get little bumps. And he has to go back, and the priest says, I'm really sorry, Mike. You have leprosy. Mike starts to notice something else while that's happening, because the area where that's happening starts to go numb, which makes sense, because the nerve endings are damaged. They can't communicate. Mike knows this whole, now his whole world will never be the same. Don't miss this. Mike has to leave home. Now, Mike has to leave home for good reason. Because he doesn't want anyone else in his family or anyone that he cares about to get it either. And he's not even sure how it's spread. So they have to go. And Mike is brought to a place called a leper colony. Still exists in places like, in, uh, there's, I think there's one in Tanzania. There's, they're all over India. There's several in, in India. There's a couple in um, Madagascar as well. Because, and here's the scary thing, it's kind of like going into an AIDS hospice. When you walk in, think about it, you're the one least affected so far. Does that make sense? So what Mike sees in front of him as he walks in there is the horror of people. That's his future. So this is what happens. His whole skin starts to be affected. And his extremities. Because let's face it, it's the parts that are the farthest away that will be affected because they're the parts that are the hardest, they're the longest distance to communicate with your brain. Does that make sense? So what Mike looks at is when he sees other people, is he sees people that are covered in what looks like ash. He sees people who don't have feet or don't have hands. It's been told that it's been common that such a person can wake up from the sound of a rat eating their toes because they won't feel them, but they'll hear the sound. Mike is being numbed to death. You ever have one of those moments where you're like, I just wish I couldn't feel pain. Believe me, after this, you'll actually go, actually, I'm pretty good with pain in regards to this. The problem is it usually takes about 20 years to die from something like this. So when he walks in, he sees people and he realizes, and they don't look good. And what he realizes is that's my future in front of me. And so Mike has... 15 to 20 more years of laying there with these people who moan and the only pain they feel is their heart pain because they can't feel it on their skin anymore. All those receptors are not firing anymore. 
And Mike, and then what, what do you do? What do you do at a moment like that when you lay there? What do you start thinking? My, and especially if you're in a religious community like this, my first thought is I would be thinking, what did I do? Because as far as in a community like this, they would be looking at you and thinking, well, you must have done something so horrible that God would give you that. Does that make sense? So what happens is you start laying there and you start asking, how long would it take before you actually come up with something? And then you wait, I mean, and then you give it year after year, month after month. I mean, how many, I mean, you'd have a list of things. I would, I'd have a very big list of things. I'd go, man, every one of these things could have given me this, nonetheless, the recipe of all of them. I mean, it wouldn't take long before I would realize, yeah, man, I deserve this. But that means he will never, think about it, he will never again be able to feel a hand in his. A friend putting their hand on his shoulder. The hug from somebody that he cares about. He would never be able to feel again the warmth of someone he loves or a child that's his. Be able to just give him a hug because they couldn't do it anyways. And poor Mike, he's just being numbed to death, laying there and waiting. And I just, I'll be honest with you, I, I would rather die quickly than have that experience. I'm an enormously tactile person, and my kids are very enormously tactile, and I love holding my kids' hands, and I love holding my wife's hand, and I love walking with my arm around her. I love that sense of touch. I love that, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to have them look at me with this face of horror, knowing that even if they could touch me, though they wouldn't, I wouldn't feel it anyways. And for 10, 15 years, it just gets worse and worse. So, oh, at that point, my, like, then think about what the nurse, sooner or later, I can't swallow because my muscles won't react. I won't breathe. All of those auto mechanic things start shutting down, and I just die from that. Luke tells me in this same story that he was covered in leprosy. In other words, he was at the last stages. So Mike is there. And he has had time to condemn himself and condemn himself. I mean, face it, in the beginning, you'd be like, oh, come on. There are other people who've done a lot worse than me, and they don't get this. And think about how angry you'd be, and this isn't fair, and this isn't just, and all that. But sooner or later, you, you finally give in, and you realize, I suck, and I deserve this. I mean, is anyone in this room honestly so delusional to think you wouldn't be there? And you hear the moaning of people beside you. And somewhere down the line, you kind of look and go, what would you do, man? What would you do to get this? You start airing all those things. If you ever had to go out in public, you had to scream, unclean, unclean, because you didn't want, nobody could go near you. You know that whole sort of three meter or ten foot pole thing? It was situations like this that were required for this. Then such a guy would have to come in a Holocaust cloak, you know, although you wouldn't use the term back then. One of those big cloaks where you cover up your face and you go like this. And as you do, as you walk at that point, you tell, you have to scream it so that nobody accidentally comes within three meters of you because they don't want to get near you. And you, when you say that, they scatter because they don't want to catch it from you. That's who you are now. That's life now as you know it. And that's this guy's life for at least a decade. Could you imagine what that would be like? Every face that sees you shudders in horror. And then some of you hear, hey, there's this guy that's been healing people. He's a prophet from Galilee. Do you risk it? 
many pieces of profit, I could go to this guy and he could say, you deserve it. And he could air all those things in front of my family. Would you risk it? Would you say, you know, I don't really care at this point. At this point, I just, either he's got to heal me or I want to die. If he's covered in leprosy, he may not have both feet. But I want to remind you, he can't feel when he steps anyways. So Jesus is being thronged. And as Jesus is being thrown, this guy's like, hey, look, at the rest of you can just die if you want to. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to risk it. But think about what this would be like. So do this with me for a moment. Just kind of follow me on this. Don't worry, you don't have to do much. You set the standards. Okay, now ready? While this is happening, now the rest of you just kind of go around him for a second. Like you're all kind of hanging up. Come on, you guys. Don't worry. Nothing right now. So just kind of, except for you, Mike, you stay there because you're a lover. All right. No, just kind of hang out with them, right? You're just kind of here and Jesus is talking. Come on, guys. Right. You're me and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Okay, so you're all hanging there. So Mike comes over here like this. And as Mike comes over here, he's kind of covering his face like this. And he starts screaming, I'm clean. Give it a shot. I'm clean. Now, what would you do? You would move away from him. Now, don't miss what this does. What this does is it gives the leper a straight shot to Jesus because none of you are going to get in his way. Does that make sense? And here's the funny thing. Who could have gotten in his way? His disciples. There's the ironic part. The guys that are actually wanting to be like him could actually be the guys that keep... I mean, if you find the two things they do the most, one is argue over who's greatest, and the second is try to keep people from Jesus. How is that a student? But you'll, I challenge you to look and see what they do the most. So this guy screams, unclean, and as he says, unclean, everyone starts to spread out. And every step you take, people, I mean, no one's going to get near you. You get that. So come on, take a step, take a step, and you guys just respond. Right? Now, by the way, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Doesn't this happen on a bus when a guy kind of comes in and they're kind of crazy? You know, they're like, hey, it's just, blah, 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 blah. right? And they're just like talking to themselves, and I'm like, you shut up, you shut up, right? And everyone's like, woo, and he gets like all this space. Okay, go ahead and sit down, you guys. Here's the point, is that God had set this up so that people wouldn't get leprosy, but he also set it up so that no leper could be kept from them. Notice what it says now as we go through the text. Verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him. Do you know what imploring means? He begged. You ever see a grown man beg before? It's a really weird place to be. The only place where I've ever seen grown men beg are in gang situations where somebody owes money or where somebody's really sick. And you look at that, and there's a difference when somebody's like, give me an answer because their child died or their husband committed adultery or something where you like, that's not imploring. That's demanding. This guy is on the opposite of demanding. He's just begging. Now, he has no other hope. There's no medical. By the way, to this day now, you can't reverse the effects. But now they actually have come up with things that can kill the bacteria. So to this day, you can kill the bacteria, but you have to discover it early enough because whatever damage it's done, you can't reverse. 
But I, want you to, I don't want you to miss verse 40 because he, he falls down and he starts to worship him and he just says, please, 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 please. And there's a question. But notice here, he says, if you are, and what's the word there? Willing. Don't miss this. Don't, please, please don't miss this because we're almost done here now. There are two kinds of, two, there, the, you know, faith is a double barrel shotgun. And there are two things that have to be in conjunction. One is, are you, power, are you able? But able is only part of it. There's a second part to it, and that's, are you willing? Don't miss that. Because normally in our case, it's like if you actually put your trust in Jesus, it's rather likely, let's be honest, that you just kind of, well, you can do anything. That's not in question. The question is, would you? Does that make sense? Like, God, you can heal me, you can transform me, you can pull out this addiction, you can stop me from being mental, you can take out this, you can give me sanity, you can do any of that. The question is, are you willing? And that's what he's asking, isn't it? He's going, if you're willing, are you willing? Would you be willing? Because I don't doubt your power. I'm just questioning whether you'd want to. But notice he doesn't say you can heal me. Because from the beginning, this whole thing's about being unclean. Don't miss Jesus' answer because he answers before he speaks. What's the one thing that Mike has not experienced for probably two decades? Touch. Do you see what Jesus does? I mean, imagine. He's there and he's like, if you're willing, please, please, and he's begging, please, or just kill me. And Jesus does this. Now, nobody has gone near him. Remember that whole distance? Everyone else has, has gone away. You guys all fled. And you did it for the right reasons. You know? And Jesus reaches out and he does this. Do you think he answered him the moment he said, what he, before he even spoke? And when he did that, the first thing this guy is going to feel is God's hand on him. It's the first thing. But that hand touching him for the first moment is going to say a million other things. That means I'll be able to hold my kid's hand again. That means I'll be able to hug my wife again. That means I'll be able to look at my friends again and give them a hug, and they're not going to go, oh, God, don't let me get sick from that. You know? I mean, imagine what it would be like at that moment. And he looks, and he looks him straight in the face and takes him by the shoulder, and he's just like, look it. I am willing. Now go be clean. And I love the fact that at that moment, we as disciples kind of look and go, Wow, not only is no one too far gone and no one too far ill, no one's too unclean. It doesn't matter how filthy you've made your soul. It doesn't matter how rotten you've put that in there and what stinks and what rots in your soul. He's unintimidated and I'm learning he's willing. The issue is never God's willingness. The issue is man's. Tonight, God's like, look, at, I want to love you, and I want to make you whole, and I want to transform you, and I want to do great things. I'm willing. Are you? You can go, Psh, that's dumb. What are you trying to make me do? Should I shave my head and run around in an orange robe or something? No, like, I'm not asking any of that. I'm inviting you to a God who wants to transform your life and make you awesome, and that's up to you because it's not up to him because he's already made his choice. He's already chasing you, and he's already reaching out, and you're like, I don't feel it. Of course you don't feel it, because right now you're numb. And I realize this is what happens to us, is we get numb. And we get so numb, we don't feel it. And you're like, but then you're like, but he's like, I'm willing. If you're willing to let me put my hand on you, if you're willing to just receive what I offer, you're like, but if I feel, I'll feel pain, right? 
It'll be the best pain you ever felt. When I was 14 years old, I was I fought competitively, and one of the guys that was there were there were three of us that ran a dojo. One of the guys that was in the dojo was kind of this guy that was he was big in aikido, in other words, which was really violent, and he really loved to fight. He was just like it was his fun thing. You know, he used to just run up and go, "Hey, you want a fist fight?" I'm like, "Of course I don't want a fist fight." First of all, I want to knock you out, and then I don't ever want to talk to you again. You know, but he paid the bills. He was real faithful with that. The other guy was super nice, and he was super flaky. I don't know. You couldn't get it. Well, anyways, so this guy, and once we were in, and just I was kind of walking with this friend of mine, and we were cutting through this little area in Chicago where it was frozen. It was a pond that was frozen. And I was in kind of just a pair of trainers, you know, no traction at all. And this guy was on skates, and he came up to me, and he's like, Let, and he has these, he has these uh, hockey sticks. And he throws one at me and goes, let's fight. And I'm like, oh. I mean, I, and I actually asked him, do you mean like play hockey? Because, you know, he's like, no, 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 it's like, let's, let's, let's really fight. I'm like, he's got skates on. He's got all this traction. And we kind of look, and he comes at me. And as he comes at me, I got my stick, and I realized, I'm like, okay, this boy's going to have to learn a lesson. Again, I'm not telling you this was me being awesome. This is me being 14. And as he comes at me, I've got my stick with the, with the edge that kind of comes around this way, right? Because it's a straight stick, and then it, it bends, right? You can help me because you have some Canadian in you. So, right? And as he comes at me, we clasp them parallel. So both sticks are like this. And all I could think to do was go, Hua! and I take that in, and I got him right under the jaw. I knew I was going to knock him out as long as I didn't. And I made sure that it didn't happen in a way that I cut anything here because, well, I could kill him, and that would be bad. So, you know, and so as I do this, I'm not even watching the other end. Well, the other end goes, shoop, pop, and it hits the back of my knees, throws my feet up in the air, and I land right on the tip of my shoulder blade. I pop my collarbone out three and a half inches. It goes, like that. The cool thing is I kind of stand up from that, oh, full of adrenaline and endorphins, and go, yeah, what's up with that? Right, because he's, uh, he's knocked cold. And then I leave. For three days, I sleep on that shoulder. And I'm like, man, this is sore. This is sore. I'm not used to being that sore. Then I woke up one day, and I couldn't feel anything in my arm. The main nerve that was there was being severed, was being pinched and severed by my collarbone and my rotator cuff, those two little things that kind of meet together here. So I went to the doctor. I'm like, yeah, I should probably go to the doctor for this. And there was this really cool Iranian doctor. And he was like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. I'm like, oh, boy. And I'm like, what do you mean not good? He's like, well, if you would have slept on it another night, you could have lost your arm altogether. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's not good. He's like, we're going to have to do this thing. We're going to have to put all these steel pins in your arm. We're going to have to, you know, rebuild your whole collarbone. All of my, lig my ligaments and cartilage had basically just been gnarled. So they had to put nylon webbing in its place. This cool scar, though, for me. You know, so I, people are like, what happened? I'm like, cut myself shaving, you know. And... And I just remember because I couldn't, I literally couldn't feel anything in my hand. And I remember after the surgery, I laid there and he took a needle and he stuck it in my finger. And he goes, can you feel that? And I'm like, yes, but it was the best pain I ever felt. Because for that moment, what it meant was this was alive again. Does that make sense? And because I could feel it, it was worth it because now for the moment I realized I got this back. Now, look at there are things in our life where we want to shut them down so much we don't want to feel anything at any cost. And then what happens is we kill ourselves, and then God's like, look at let's deal with that. Let's lay it to rest for real. And you're like, but I'll feel pain. God's like, yes, but you'll be alive again. Don't you want that? 
And this man looks and he's like, Jesus, are you just willing? I don't doubt you can, but would you? And he looks and he's like, yes, I am. And at that moment, it's like, what would it be like for us? Because it wasn't like he had to go wash in something or he had to do it. At that particular moment, it's like the guy was like, you know, a zombie apocalypse. And all of a sudden, it's like, he gets his fingers back, his toes back, and all the, like, dust is gone. And now he just looks like a supermodel. And he's kind of like, whoa. And we all go, wow, look at what happened to Mikey. And I think, wow, God is willing. How awesome is that? He is willing and then Jesus does the weirdest thing. He looks and he goes, now, Mike, before you tell anyone, and I don't want you running around telling everyone, but before you tell anyone, I need you to run over to the priest and tell him. And there's this whole thing for what it's worth in Leviticus where you have to do this whole thing. But the idea, don't miss this, is that they've had these kind of instructions. And I know this because, for instance, and I'm going to pick on Agnes for just a second, I know that she's a nurse. I mean, I know she's making rounds, the kind of doctor rounds. And the reason I say this, there are certain things you kind of look at, kind of like when, every, every time I get my... You know, my uh, first aid licenses and all that, your certificates. There's like, okay, I might need that. I might need I'm not really sure I'm going to need that. You always get those kind of things. You're like, well, that's going to sit in the back pocket. This is going to be, I'm going to need this any day. And imagine it's the kind of thing when somebody actually has that other thing. You're like, you have to go back to the book and go, how was that again? We were supposed to do that. And the reason I say that is nobody's been cured of leprosy that's actually Israeli. I mean, uh, we can argue over Miriam. But for the most part, it was like this guy that was a Syrian guy. But there's none of this. This is new. So imagine this guy goes back and he goes, hey, you guys, um, remember when you said I was unclean? I just want you to see, check it out, baby. I'm clean. And they have to go, whoa, now what do we do? We have to do this birds thing and this water, running water and this, this pottery thing. And it's, the reason I say that is Jesus wanted those, those priests saved too. Don't miss that. Just because they're in religion and just because they're in service or just because they're ordained doesn't mean they're saved. And what it took was somebody changed by Jesus to be able to go and talk to him. And that's one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to talk about who you were versus who you are and how Jesus has changed you. But the guy doesn't do that. Well, I mean, maybe he did show himself to the priest. That's not the point. But then he ran around telling everyone, and then Jesus couldn't have another moment like that because now everyone's flocking to him, and Jesus has to go and kind of hide out in places, and they still keep finding him. And what he really wanted was to sit down and talk with you and tell you, you personally are important to me. You personally by name, and he calls us by name, versus, hey, all of you, let's all this get well at the moment. I'm going to wave my hands, and then you're all going to be well. He's like, I want to know you all. I want to hear your story. I want to talk to you, and I want to be able to, I want you to be able to say, Jesus touched my life, not just, I was in this cool group at this church service, and we all got this thing, and we all started shaking and barking and clucking, and who's so cool? You know, versus, I met Jesus personally, because he calls his sheep by name, not by group. As we end this now and go to prayer, I just want to ask, where are you at with Jesus in this? I mean, you're still trying to figure this out? Because tonight, he's not just saying, man, wouldn't it be cool if you joined this church? What he's asking is, wouldn't it be cool if you enjoyed him? Because what he really wants is Dick saying, Steve, Stace, Mike, Steph, calling you. That, I mean, God wants you to know He knows your name. He wants you personally. Because let's face it, even for the pain you have, there's a uniqueness. There's a bespoke issue in regards to your history. And you can take that to Him and it isn't like, oh, you've been hurt. Go to the hurt pile. It's like, no, I know you and I want, you, I want to be able to hear your heart. 
I mean, when I married my wife, it wasn't like I went, oh, cool, well, you're just one of those cool gals, so let's just put you in the pile of girls I want to be romantic with. It's like I'm going to commit myself to you, and I want to know you, and to spend the rest of my life enjoying and adventuring with you. And I get that. And Jesus is like, let's spend eternity just in enjoying each other together. Let's do that. As we go to prayer, please hear me. No matter what you think can keep you from God, the only thing that really can is your willingness. He's willing. And you can come with all your failures and all your muck. I did. With, I mean, literally with blood on my hands, if you will. And he won't turn you away. He says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast away. And he'll take all of that filth and shame and he'll hang it on a cross and he'll pay for it there. And then they'll bury it for good. And then they'll resurrect and say, I want to give you a whole new life where that's no longer a part of it. That's what I'm offering you. Now, it's your choice now. It's like, I, only, I not only proved I'm willing, I already did it. The only part that's left is whether you'll actually let me do it in your life. But if you have said yes to Jesus, welcome to the school of servanthood. Not just the school of doctrine. And that's what he wants you to know. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too far ill. Nobody's too unclean. And if you could just get them to Jesus and they're willing, He is, He'd fix them. That includes you. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. I just love this guy. I love this guy because he was such a mess. That's kind of a weird thing to say. But it really is right. I'm so thankful that he was brave enough to come to you and ask, Hey, are you willing? I just pray for everyone who actually makes claim to you. Not calling themselves just religious or any of that, but actually someone's being honest and saying, You know what? I've handed my life to you and saying, this thing's a mess and I need you to make sense of it. I need you to clean me because I am filthy in and out. And I'm numb. And I shouldn't be. There's people that I should love that I just don't even feel it. I just realize, I mean, there's things that I know are wrong and I don't even feel like it. I mean, it's, it doesn't even bother me anymore. It used to and it doesn't anymore. I, I, I know that's not right. Would you please put your hand upon me? I know you're willing. Let me feel again. Make me alive again. And then put me in that place where I'm ready to bring others to you that know that it doesn't matter how far gone they are, it doesn't matter how you know how ill or or, or whatever they're whatever they're racked with, it doesn't matter how unclean they are, the bottom line is you're willing. You're unintimidated by the spiritual world. You're master over all that. You're master over anything that the world can kind of throw at us disease-wise. And you're, you're way more... You're, you're, your purity is so far beyond any man's uncleanness. The world as a whole. Remind me that. And give me that willingness just to cast my nets for people and draw them into you. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, last thing here... 
Hey, maybe you didn't understand all of this. Maybe you got some of it. But tonight, if you realize that God's actually calling out to you, not just to people in mass, but to you personally, and he's unintimidated by your filth and your shame, the stuff you don't even want to look at anymore and you just want to hide from and you just want to bury, but Jesus wants to deal with it for good and just let it be gone. And he really did take it to the cross so that you don't have to spend the rest of your life torturing yourself with it because he already was tortured for it. And when he died, it was paid for good. And when he was buried, he buried it for good. And when he rose, he left it there so that you can have a whole new life without it. And he just asks if to give him permission to completely wash you clean from it. And if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray from here. You're right there. God, I'm a mess. I am filthy. My heart's messed. But that doesn't scare you. So if you really want me, uh, you have me. If what you really want to do is wash me clean, please be my guest. If you want to take my life and make it something beautiful, be my guest, please. I hand my life to you and ask now, please, take it over and make it right. In Jesus' name, amen.